Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. This week, we cover everything from the strong performance of technology and the appeal of government bonds to packing companies and the defense sector. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Simon Nichols, manager of the elite rated BMY Mellon multi-asset balance fund. Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. Morning, Chris. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. No problem at all. Um, this is one of the newer funds rated on Fund Calibre. So for a number of listeners, this is the sort of first interaction they've ever had with you. Um, let's start with a very generic introduction to the fund for those listeners in terms of what it aims to achieve, how it operates during challenging periods, and, and j- just give us some examples of what you're looking to do in there. Okay. Um, so it's an, an actively managed uh, global multi-asset portfolio, uh, which really means that the uh, the fund holds a mixture of um, equities, bonds, uh, and cash. Uh, it's quite flexible, but actually very flexible. Um, we can hold equities and bonds uh, in any geographic region uh, of the world, or indeed any economic sector of the world. Um, we are in the 40 to 85% IMA sector. Um, which means that we have to hold between 40 and 85% of uh, the fund in equities. Uh, But in practice, over the time that I've managed the portfolio, it's tended to be towards the higher end of that, so maybe 65 to to 80% of the fund in equities. We like to keep things uh, relatively simple, so we directly invest uh, our po- portfolio in a uh, in a relatively concentrated uh, list of individual equities. So maybe fifty to sixty, and we've got around about uh, sixty in the portfolio at the moment. What we're trying to achieve is um, capital growth and income um, over a five-year period, so long-term. And so we take a relatively long-term view with the um, with the investments that we're making. Um, we have a relatively low turnover in terms of what we're doing in the portfolio. Probably important to say that this is a it is a relative fund, um, and so we do have a good portion of the um, portfolio invested in equities. Um, but we do balance that, as I said, with, with bonds and cash, um, which can help the performance in, as you say, more challenging times. Um, let's maybe pick on a few parts of that then. So, firstly, um, just for clarity, you have a huge resource behind you to help you in the building of this fund. Maybe, maybe just talk to us a little bit about that, possibly. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm the lead manager on this portfolio, but we have our mixed asset and charity desk. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have a number of other um, portfolio managers managing similar types of um, mandates. But uh, probably more importantly, uh, we benefit from Newton's uh, multidimensional research platform, uh, which means we have a number of um, equity research analysts um, which produce work just for us. So their work is um, proprietary. Um, and they're looking to um, recommend stocks for inclusion in the portfolio um, along a thematic basis. And maybe, maybe we'll talk um, a little bit more about themes later. Um, we also benefit from having um, our own in-house fixed interest team uh, where we can talk about um, you know, what's happening in bond markets. Um, and so they're really helpful um, when we're looking at the fixed interest part of the portfolio. Um, but also we've got you know, resource in the quantitative space um, out, in, out in San Francisco. Cisco, um, and we have a number of our research analysts based out in in the US as well. So a relatively broad um, broad team with you know lots of inputs coming from lots of different directions. Um, so yeah, re- really interesting and useful. 
Okay. Well, you mentioned all those inputs. Let's let's sort of focus back on the fund itself specifically. Obviously, you have mentioned those thematics. There's no point in avoiding it. Let's go straight into them now. The number of long-term thematics in the portfolio. Maybe just explain what they, which ones they are, and then maybe talk to us a, a, a couple of examples, perhaps of in a bit more detail of how you utilize those thematics to the benefit okay. of investors. Yeah, sure. So um, themes really, um, they're just about identifying uh, long-term trends in markets. And so they can identify um, areas of opportunity um, where the fund can invest behind. Um, Or just as importantly, they can uh, identify areas of risk um, where, you know, we would look to make sure that the fund is avoiding exposure to, to those areas. And so, you know, it's about looking at different um, countries, markets, sectors, um, and we're really trying to identify what's changing. Um, and this can be at any level. Um, so, for example, our tectonic shifts theme um, looks at deglobalization, uh, aging populations, um, emerging market spending patterns, for example. So, so very, very uh, big picture. Uh, while some of our um, micro themes, such as the smart everything theme, uh, may look at things like silicon everywhere. So, you know, how semiconductor chips are becoming smaller, they're becoming faster, they're becoming um, more cost effective. Um, and this is really changing the way that computing is working, how the world is interacting with each other, um, how things are digitalizing um, around the world. So, you know, that that is a, a more of a micro theme and looking at how individual corporates may be um, disrupted. Maybe another one is our natural capital theme. Um and, you know, one of the sub themes here looks at electrification. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this this really looks at how industries, particularly in the, in the industrial sector, um, may be being disrupted by, you know, changes in the way things um, are powered from an environmental point of view. And really what we're looking for here is um, to identify those companies that are best positioned um, to take advantage of future demand trends whilst mm-hmm. trying to avoid those companies that um, are in areas that may be disrupted by things such as new technology. Okay. You mentioned again, obviously, you have that flexibility to invest across the entire market. So much choice forever within that sphere. Um, so let's let's talk on a few points within that. Firstly, um, if I'm right, you have a bit of a focus on towards the, the larger cap stars in the market. Maybe just talk us through that. And then also, even though it's not a specific mandate of the portfolio, you um, you tend to like companies to pay a dividend. Just, just explain, maybe you could wrap that together and give us a bit of insight into that, please. Yeah, so um, the fund does have um, exposure to larger companies um, in in the in the market, um, and really here is you know we're, we're looking for companies maybe in the um, in the technology space, in the industrial space that have got the um, ability to invest behind these longer term themes that um, that we're thinking about. But you know what we are we're not doing is you know trying to invest behind those companies that have got um well we're not style buyers should i say so we're not looking particularly for growth companies or for value companies mm-hmm. um we do like companies that have got strong capital allocation um and if management teams have got fantastic um growth opportunities to invest behind at high returns on capital that's great um you know we would encourage them to to go and invest um the capital that a company is generating behind those opportunities 
Um, whereas because, as you say, we're in some of the more larger companies, um, paying a dividend is a relatively good discipline for management. Um, it you know says, look, the, the cost of equity isn't free. There is a cost of, um, of capital. Um, and therefore, we do like um, companies that um, pay um, an element of their uh, cash flow out to us as shareholders. Um, but, you know, not at the expense of um, maintaining the relevance of the company and investing um, for future growth opportunities. So it, it is a balance that we're looking to achieve. Um, you mentioned styles there. So obviously growth and value, the different styles of investing. You will look at value companies provided these companies are not in structural decline. For the listeners who perhaps don't know, could you maybe just give us a bit more into that in terms of maybe an example of one that, one that is and one that isn't, or just a bit of a guidance on, on what that looks like, please? Okay. Um, so yeah, as I said, you know, the the fund does invest behind some of these more longer term thematic growth drivers, technology industrials are, are the examples we've used. But um, we also hold companies that um, perhaps have lower growth outlooks. Um, and as you mentioned, with higher dividend yields. And so when we're thinking about where we're going to achieve a return from these investments, perhaps more of our return will be coming from um, the dividend yield and the return of capital um, than it would from the growth opportunities. But what's very important when we're looking at companies with um, lower growth outlooks is that their products remain um, they remain relevant to the future and so you know maybe an example of this might be in the packaging sector um, and so you know we will invest behind packaging manufacturers you know most of my deliveries still come in cardboard boxes uh, and so we think that those um, products are future facing um, maybe another example would be in the defense industry so we have some um, companies that are exposed to defense budgets so a little bit less correlated to economic growth plans more correlated to um, government budgets. Um, they have in the past been seen as low growth companies with high dividend yields. Now, clearly over the past you know, 12 to 18 months, they, they've done relatively well given all the geopolitical tensions that um, we've seen. Um, but those will be a couple of examples of the companies that you, you may book it in the kind of more value area, low mm -hmm. PEs, relatively low growth, higher dividend yields, but you know, with products that we believe um, have got relevance into the future. Okay. We've gone a fair bit in without really going into too much detail on bonds yet, but we can't avoid them forever. So um, I'm going to start by asking you, because obviously 12 months ago, people were writing obituaries about the 60-40 portfolio and the like. Um, this year has been a slightly, maybe a slightly different story, but essentially, do, do, do you think bonds and equities will move in, in lockstep going forward? Do, do you have a view on that? Do you, do you feel that it's not as simple as one scenario or another? Yeah, I mean, it's never uh, one scenario or another. Um, you know, I think that you're right. Um, 60, 40 portfolios have, um, you know, moved in lockstep uh, over recent years. Um, there are clearly factors um, which may drive bond returns to move in the same direction um, as equity returns um, over some periods. But there are also other factors um, which may drive them in the opposite direction. And so I guess it depends on what the market is most uh, focused on and wants to emphasize at any particular um, point in time. Um, so maybe, you know, thinking about how how these drivers work. So I don't want to get too technical, but the, the risk-free rate is effectively the, um, the building block for the valuation um, of any financial asset. 
Um, and this really is determined by um, the rate that is available on uh, U.S. treasuries, um, as these are often used as a proxy uh, by investors for, for the risk-free rate. Um, now, if we look back over the last you know, number of years, um, these rates have been held artificially low, um, really due to the quantitative easing and monetary policy that has been in place by uh, central banks um, around the world. And, and these central banks were buying bonds for reasons other than um, the investment return that they offered. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, in an environment where policy action um, is driving the key buyer or seller uh, in the bond market, um, then maybe you're in a situation where bond and equity returns may be moved together with each other um, because you're you're changing uh, um, effectively the cost of capital. Um, I think now, in my view, we're in an era where you know the risk-free rate is is more determined by um, market participants other than central banks and policymakers. Uh, so real-world market participants. Um, we've seen, as you said, over the last couple of years that bond markets have had to adjust to um, the lack of uh, re- return-insensitive buyers, central banks um, in the market. And we've seen you know, yields move higher, particularly real yields uh, becoming positive um, once again. And so I think bonds can now play a more diversifying role uh, in a multi-asset portfolio than perhaps they have been able to over the you know, last few years. And clearly, you know, where that moves, it will depend on your view on inflation. It will depend on your view on a hard or soft landing um, for the for the economic outlook. Um, But I think in in this kind of environment, then, you know, bonds and equities might potentially um, move in different directions to each other um, going forward. And and just for clarity for our listeners, so um, you mentioned it there in terms of the risk-free rate and the, the, you know, that it has moved higher. Are the attractions, i.e. the yields on offer in other parts of the bond market, because you can go there if you want to beyond government bonds, have they tempted you out into the corporate bond world and beyond? Or have you stayed, tried to, are you a bit more cautious than perhaps some of the others in the market seem to be? So in in our portfolio, um, we do have a relatively high weighting to equities. Uh, and so I said earlier that the the weighting has probably moved between, um, you know, sixty five and eighty percent. We're at, we're at low seventy percent at the moment, uh, and so what we're wanting to do is make sure that uh, the bonds that we hold in the portfolio very much play a defensive role, yes. and so that um, they work when risk isn't uh, in favour by the market. And so our our um, our fixed interest holdings at the moment are predominantly in um, government markets. Um, I think if you are moving into corporate and high yield markets, um, the spreads are relatively narrow still. So whilst the absolute yields look reasonably attractive because of the move higher in government bond yields, um, the amount of additional return you're getting for taking on corporate risk um, doesn't really look, um, you know, too out of line with um, historical norms. And so, you know, we would rather take the risk uh, at the moment in um in our equities where we're achieving, hopefully, uh, a higher level of growth and having our fixed interest as a, as a defensive play in the portfolio. Well, well, let's move back to equities then, because obviously a lot of the headlines this year have been about those magnificent seven companies and the influence of AI and how that could bolster them even further. Do you feel big tech can keep performing and sort of driving the market or 
you know, the idea that small and, you know, basically everything else, particularly small, every other stock as well as that is, is sort of, you know, an afterthought almost in 2023 beyond those companies. Do you, do you feel that's a case? Do you think small cap can make a company can make a comeback and there'll be a bit more of broadness across the market in terms of performance? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you're right. You're kind of returning to the the magnificent seven, where you know the the large um, technological stocks in the U.S. market have really driven most of the returns this year um, from U.S. equity markets. Um, I do actually think that you know big tech um, can continue to perform reasonably well. Um, I don't tend to look at things in terms of large caps versus small caps. Um, you know, I'm a great believer in um it's the earnings growth and the cash flow growth um that a company can produce um that really matters in the long term and so just so, just sorry so just those seven companies alone you feel they can keep performing just purely because of those those metrics you just mentioned there yeah so i mean let, let's let's look at one uh, so if we think about nvidia which is um obviously um, really at the vanguard of artificial intelligence. So they are designing the um, the computer chips that are making artificial intelligence programs possible. Um, the stock is up, I don't know, maybe you know, more, more than 250% this year. Um, but when we look at the earnings, um, if we were to look at the start of this year um, and look at the earnings that the market was expecting in 2025, um those earnings expectations have actually moved more than the share price. Mm. And so NVIDIA is on a lower PE rating now, depending on where the share price is when, when the podcast goes out, but um, it's on a lower rating now than it was at the start of the year. And mm. so that um, appreciation we've seen in the share price has really been driven by um, a significant change in the future earnings outlook of, of that company. Um, now, that's not the case for the whole of the Magnificent Seven. Um, some have achieved um, the growth we've seen in the share price um, due to an element of re-rating as well. But I think that's because um, those companies are very well positioned to take advantage of the new technological wave that we're seeing. And so artificial intelligence you know, may improve their products that they may well be able to charge a little bit more for in the future. And so their, you know, their future earnings outlook has has improved a little bit. So, um, yeah, you know, I accept that you know those companies have really driven the market, um, and you know it has been an element of of re-rating this year. But over the long term, um, those companies that you know have got the the best earnings growth, the best cash flow growth, whether they are small or large, um, are likely to um, perform you know particularly well. Okay. And and just finally and, and briefly, uh, from my end, just perhaps a, because of the broadness of where you invest, maybe just give us an outlook on on how you see the market at the moment. Because a lot of people are saying, you know, ranging from the stock apocalypse to there's lots of pockets of opportunity. Where, where do you sit on that scale? Are you, you know, do, do you feel the market's fully valued from the equities perspective? Do you feel there are opportunities conversely? Maybe just give us a, a minute or two's insight on that, please. Sure. So um, obviously, we're always looking for um, opportunities. Um, as I said, we're investing on a, a longer term time frame rather than you know what's going to happen in the next quarter. Having said that, um, you know our equity weighting is towards the lower end of um, where we've been historically. Um, so maybe low seventies at the moment. Um, our cash weightings are 
um, a little bit higher uh, than we've seen um, over the recent past. But then, you know, we're achieving um, a reasonable return on cash now, given where where base rates are. Um, I think, you know, we are in this period where we're seeing um, another shift in the interest rate regime. And so all investors are wondering whether interest rates have peaked and how fast they will come down and whether the interest rates that have been put in the past will operate with a lag and therefore, you know, will reduce economic growth, maybe causing a slight recession or maybe just slowing down um, activity in the market to allow inflation to um, come down more in line with what central banks are thinking. So there is quite a lot of uncertainty in, at, at the moment. We have been through a very, very steep interest rate rising um, period over the last 12 to 18 months. So um, we are, you know, marginally cautious in terms of has, has you know, it is some of that yet to feed through into into corporate earnings, which is why we're a little bit lower in our equity weight. But, you know, we definitely see areas of opportunity over the longer term, um, you know, with some of the fantastic growth opportunities that our thematics are pointing us towards. Um, Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you for introducing yourself to the listeners. No problem. Thanks for having me. The BNY Mellon Multi-Asset Balance Fund aims to achieve a balance between income and capital growth by investing in equities and bonds using themes to target the forces driving global change in markets. To learn more about the BNY Mellon Multi-Asset Balance Fund, please visit fundcalibre.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. Mm-hmm.